No BS nutrition sleep paralysis demon is diet culture, and we're not mad about it. This is a one-hour food fight against diet culture and its fake science messages. Instead, we're passionate about celebrating real wellness. I'm registered dietitian Hannah McGee. And I'm neuroscience PhD student Tarek Youssef, and this is No BS Nutrition. Yeah, I'm going to hit record. Okay. Hannah, 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 my love. Eric. My one true love. I, 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 I have you ever, <laughs> ever been like, I, I, I'm so ready. And then it's like, oh, I just need one more thing. Oh, no, I just need one more thing. Oh, no. I know, I, I know. And I unplug my, anyway, so that's been my morning. Um, I appreciate you being so, so kind and so loving and empathetic to me. Oh, my God. What? Of course. Um, I... I also just want to very quickly share with listeners uh, before I do the BS of the week, very, very quickly. I had a really strange dream where I was walking through bulk barn and I was trying to get crunchy peanut butter. You know how they do peanut butter out of the machines? Like fresh? Yeah. I was trying to get crunchy peanut butter. And at mm-hmm. first I saw this, this machine and it said peanut butter and I, and I pressed the lever to get the stuff out and it comes okay. out as coffee. And then <gasps> I look closely and it's like, oh, it's peanut butter flavored coffee. I was like, oh, okay. You, what? And then, I, and then I go to the next machine and I press the lever and I'm like, wait, this isn't a peanut butter. And then I look even closer and it says peanut butter flavored fudge. I'm like, oh my gosh, how many of these machines do they have? And then I go to another machine and finally, 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 it's actually um, it's actually peanut butter. I'm like, oh my gosh, finally! And then I go to the, I go to the, one of the staff people, and I go, hi, like, does anyone ever get confused with all these machines? Um, and the staff member says, yeah, actually, they do get confused. And I'm like, oh, it just I don't know, it, like, is this awkward? Like, can I make a suggestion? Like, could you maybe change the labeling? <laughs> like, yeah, it was the strangest dream. Anyway, that's my nutrition flavored dream that I'm going to give before I get into. That is like the craziest dream. My BS of the week. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. So honestly, okay. First, before we get into the BS of the week, I would, sometimes I do get so confused by the labeling at places, rest stores like Bulk Barn. Right. Like, and so that's like not on, honestly, not that far off. Like it could have been real. Yeah. (laughs) I know, yeah. I was like, this. I was like, when I woke up, I was like, I'm so stressed out because that was so like that could have happened. Yeah, it's a sign that next time you go to bulk barn, you have to tell them to make sure they're labeling straight. And we are absolutely looking for a sponsorship from bulk barn. If they're totally, listening. we're still looking for that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so please, Tarek, since we do have a guest coming in shortly, why don't you? Tell Our me guest what is what absolutely you're... vying to get on set, and we're, we're not letting her in just yet. No, not just yet. <laughs> yeah. So tell me what your BS of the week is. So I do want to send it a huge, absolutely grass-fed, homegrown um, backyard vegetable garden shout out to. Uh, a friend of the pod, Joel. Okay, Joel. Joel sent me this BS of the week. Thank you, Joel. Um, and this BS of the week is um, one of those, you know, we've done these before, like medical medium. Um, sure. You know, we've talked about some of these people, these like people who are, who get a big following and there seems to be something up with their, um, with their messaging. You know what I mean? And their lack of credentials, maybe? This is where it gets interesting. Okay. So my BS of the week this week is Dr. Stephen Gundry. Okay. Dr. Stephen Gundry is a him. he's a cardiac surgeon. He calls himself a medical innovator, and he is the mind behind Gundry MD. So this is his, uh, you guessed it, nutraceutical company hmm. where he sells you products for your health. So I'm going to kind of go through a little bit of um, his website, and then I'm going to. I was very, very lucky to find, because who am I, you know, who am I to question the methods of a cardiac surgeon? Right. Right. I, I'm just a, I'm just a lowly PhD student, but I did find, uh, I'll get into it later. I'll get into it later. I found another expert's opinion on Dr. Gundry. Okay. So Dr. Gundry <clears throat> says, 
He wants to dramatically improve human health. He wants to make people happier, live longer. And guess what? He's got a unique vision of diet and nutrition, Hannah. A unique vision. Oh, let me hear it. <clears throat> That's true. He's got dietary wisdom. Uh, you know, compared to the dietary wisdom, he says that's failed so many people over the decades. So he, he's saying there's this problem with diets like in America, issue. all over right. the world. And he is the only one with the answer. And mm-hmm. he talks about okay. how he's this, he's this expert in heart surgery. And he, you know, he had this like, come to Jesus moment where he had this patient who he was told was, you know, not going to make it. And he performed, he like talks about how he's like this preeminent cardiac surgeon and he performed surgery that like changed this patient's life around where everybody said this patient was, uh, you know, was, had no chance of surviving. Right. And then he himself, Dr. Gundry was like, you know, I took a look at my own life and I started, you know, and I quote, uh, you know, a combination of natural dietary nutrients that led him to, you know, pursue further research down that hole. And he made what he says are uh, unmistakable conclusions that led him to found his uh, his company, Dietary uh, Gundry MD. So one of the things that he's so up in arms about, or is rather is so excited to share with people about is the benefits of gut microbes, Hannah, which obviously he's cracked the code to, which seems a little confusing to me because everybody else in science is studying them furiously and hasn't necessarily, you know, found the right answers yet. Sure, It's looking like it's very complicated, but he's cracked the code, Hannah. He's cracked the code on what he says are, how he um, takes care of your good microbes uh, compared to the bad ones. So, okay. you know, he talks about all this on his website and his website's basically just like a, a crap ton of products. And he says, he, he coined this word called holobiotics, which he's trying to say that he, you know, your gut microbes are working in tandem with your body to provide you ultimate, like optimum health, which is okay. Like that's not really anything new, but cute that you made up a new word for it. Sure. And he says one of the worst things you can do for yourself is um, consume foods that contain lectins. Oh no. I know. I knew, I knew that would hit you hard. (laughs) So uh, Hannah, of course, knows all about lectins way more than me. And I'm sure she can tell us all about them. So they're, they're plant proteins. But what Gundry says is that they harm proper cell function and they, you know, they're kind of like, they interact with pathogens or like things that are going to cause illness and the, you know, they promote gut yeast and all this stuff that's going to destroy your gut. And I guess make you give you the worst thing possible to happen to you is gain weight. Anyway, it was <laughs> the most terrible thing that if, could ever if, happen. Yeah, if what he's even saying is true, that, that lectins do this sort of thing. So he wants to do hollow biotics on your ass and um, oh, make you the healthiest person ever. So, okay. You know, you say like this person with no credentials, but you know, he's a Yale graduate. Um, yeah. He's a cardiac surgeon. So like, obviously if I'm a, a patient, I'm like, oh, like <clears throat> I'm going to listen. Yeah. Like he knows his shit. He knows his shit. Okay. So who am I to, to contradict Dr. Gundry? Right. Mm-hmm. So what I did very, very luckily, I found an amazing post on a blog called The Skeptical, Skeptical Cardiologist. So I okay. found a cardiologist. Um, his name is uh, Dr. Anthony. I forget his last name right now, but I can look it up later, and it'll definitely be in the show notes. But he calls himself Skeptical Cardiologist, at SkepCard on Twitter. Amazing blog. I actually love it, love it, love it. It's full of debunking stuff. And nice. obviously this person with like great credentials who you know we can maybe put more toe-to-toe compared to like me trying to debunk Dr. Gundry. Sure. So, I mean, this post, which I'll link in, um, in the show notes, uh, I mean, it just starts out like guns ablaze. And the title is called Why You Should Ignore. And one of the, the books that Dr. Gundry has is called The Plant Paradox, all about lectin. And yes. Lectin. Okay. So, you know what, Tarek? Somebody, we actually had a listener DM us to cover the plant paradox diet as a BS of the week. So, this is oh. perfect. Well, here you go, listener. Here you go. Her name, I looked it up. Her name's Emily. So thank you, Emily. And here you go. Thank you, Emily. Emily and Joel, maybe you should chat. 
Yeah. Um, join our Patreon. Just kidding. Please <laughs> chat. Okay. So the title of the blog post is called Why You Should Ignore the Plant Paradox by Stephen Gundry. So a skeptical cardiologist breaks down basically that all of this is garbage. One of the amazing things that I learned from this blog post, rather than having to read the book myself, is that Dr. Gundry commonly throughout his books makes it seem like he's the only one in the world that has all these secret answers to all right. these problems, which, which is, as the skeptical cardiologist points out, is one of the red flags of diet culture. You know, that somehow this one person seems to have all the answers. Well, how have we not solved all these crises right. before you came around? Yeah. Right? And one of the other terrible things that Dr. Gundry does is he makes all these claims that, A, have no background in literature at all. Mm-hmm. But as the blog post points out, there are no citations throughout the book in so many places. Of course. It'll go stretches of 10 pages of claims, claims, claims with no citations. So it's a really amazing blog post, basically saying that like, None of this is true. Um, like, he's basically just trying to profit off of people buying the nutraceuticals. He has this practice, I believe in California, where he gets patients to come in and they buy these products, these like, an- these lectin blockers, for example, that are about $80 and it's yeah. $80 a month. And of course, you have to take, uh, you have to keep taking them. And, um, um, the skeptical cardiologist also points to other sources that have previously debunked some of this stuff. You know, um, you know Dr. David Katz is an MD, he be, and he, he's quoted as saying, avoiding lectins is just utter nonsense, as I'm sure, Hannah, yeah. you would agree. So we should, like, maybe, I don't know, in an upcoming episode, we should do a whole episode on lectins so we can actually break down what they are and look at some science behind them because I know we don't really have time this morning yeah. because our guest is just going to be banging on the door waiting to Absolute come in Absolute yes. But I did want to say one thing, and, yeah. and this is something that stuck with me when we talked about the blood type diet in the BS of the week. And so if, we, if you guys listening recall when we talked about the blood type diet, that was based off of a book written by... Um, a doctor, I think he was a naturopathic doctor, but I had been, I was reading up on the book and what other, you know, professionals and dietitians had to say about that specific doctor and the blood type diet. And I, I remember specifically someone, like it was a dietitian writing in her blog post about it, that like a really important lesson for everyone is that like, just because a doctor, whether it's like a medical doctor, a naturopathic doctor yeah. or otherwise, writes a nutrition book, it doesn't mean they know anything about nutrition. Yeah. Oh, like absolutely. They, they may be like very highly qualified and like recognized in, like you said, like cardiology or cardiac surgery, whatever it is, but it doesn't mean that they know anything about nutrition. It's true. And, you know, this, this BS of the Week seems like it's just a little bit of a teaser. So maybe, as Hannah says, we'll yeah. have another episode that gets in, that fleshes it out more. Thank you, Sherrick, for talking yeah. about this, because I think that it's definitely one of those diets that people looking for, like, answers, if they have some sort of chronic disease or something like that, right. like, really fall prey to, like, and they, you know, they hear that this, I don't know, doctor in California has this amazing diet with these supplements that are going to like totally change your life. Like people are going to jump on that and, and and they're definitely going to fall for it because it's a doctor selling it. So they think it's like, I can think of so many books, like the blood type diet and and other like wheat belly. Do you remember that book? Yeah. Well, yes, this is actually cited in the skeptical cardiologist. Oh my God. No. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So like wheat belly, like I was saying it's like sort of the same ilk as Dr. Gundry's stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they're just all kind of written by physicians. And so you think they're legit, but they're really not backed by any, like, good science, you know? Totally. So, anyways, thank you so much. Um, Yeah, we'll definitely, we should definitely plan to do a full episode on the, the plant paradox diet and lectins because I think it would be really, really interesting to dive deeper. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. So thank okay. you. We're very, very excited to have Gurneet Dami with us on the podcast today. She is amazing on social media, if you don't know, and obviously we'll have all those mm-hmm. links in the show notes and we'll hear more about her work. Uh, she is a master's of science candidate in applied human nutrition. 
doing some amazing food and social justice work. Uh, and that work is actually following her throughout her thesis. So she's going to be creating knowledge rather than just sharing it. Um, and she is an entrepreneur. She is social media mogul. She is someone who's, you know, a, uh, a staunch advocate for all kinds of people in the nutrition world, yeah. uh, especially, you know, constantly even doing the work of banging on the doors of the structures that hold more power, um, like the Canadian Association of Dietetics, uh, and asking them about how they're doing their work to diversify the field of nutrition, which, you know, I mean, from what I've seen and from what Hannah and I have talked about previously is a space that definitely needs more diversification. Um, so we are very excited to talk with her about her thesis work, about her, her nutrition work today. Um, so Gurneet, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Hi, Gurneet. Hi. Thanks so much, Hannah and Tariq. It's nice to, doesn't matter where we are virtually, but technology brings us all together. Yeah, it's, it's great. And we're so excited to finally have you on the podcast. I know we've been talking about it for a little while. So it's nice to have you here. And we've been connected pretty well. Like, I feel like since we started the podcast, um, I feel like you've been following along and connecting with us. So it's great to have you here. Yeah, it's nice to be a part of the journey because I think when I was out east in Halifax, so right now I'm back in Ontario with family. Yeah, just... I always really enjoy the local connections and when you see people starting off things, actually my friends and I started, I think it was more so a personal podcast. We used to go to a library. That's always a great resource. Yes, absolutely. We've done that as well. Yep. And it's just like, yeah, those are those connections and I really enjoy that on the East Coast and you never know where that goes and here we are today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're really excited to hear so much more from you. Um, and I think our listeners, too, would be very excited to hear what you're doing because it's a topic that's not really, you know, discussed too much. Hannah and I have previously talked about how important, you know, maybe our own growth and everybody's growth, really, in terms of intersectionality and nutrition. Um, and uh, we know that you can teach some of that to us today. So mm-hmm. we're kind of just curious in general about your educational background and how that led you to study dietetics or even pursue a master's? Yeah, for sure. That's something I think about more and more. I'm like, (laughs) you're like, why did this happen? Yeah. How did I get here? (laughs) But actually I was cleaning up recently, actually the other day and I found a lot of notebooks. I just tend to keep them. And I actually wrote down, it's interesting what you write down when you're going through like starting off your undergrad. So I started off at Ryerson University for my bachelor in applied applied sciences and nutrition and food. So I, I used to write down a lot of things. I'm like, goal, public health RD, or current education at Ryerson. And oh, wow. I, so I wrote these things down. And I think cool. I your education, I wrote three master's programs, but none of them. I didn't pursue those ones. So. <laughs> but you were sort of like manifesting it all along. Yeah, and I think um, when I think about just being in dietetics, and I'm sure Hannah can attest to this too, it's it's kind of when you think of like, okay, when you're going into med school or nursing, I'm going to become a doctor, I'm going to become a nurse. But when you're doing nutrition and dietetics, it's like dietitian or, but then again, there's like those other hurdles, um, mm-hmm. competing with classmates to get into yep. internship, which is, yeah, it's a competitive process for sure. And master, so I think that was really ingrained early on and- At the same time, I feel like that takes away from education and really getting to know your classmates because you're always feeling like you're in competition. Yeah, for sure. I actually, um, I... I didn't know that you did your undergrad at Ryerson. I did um, I did my undergrad at the Mount, um, where you are now doing your master's, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, then afterwards, I went on to do my internship at St. Michael's Hospital, but it was like the... Um, combined, they called it a professional master's diploma or like the PM debt program. It was very new when I did it. And it was like in combination with Ryerson. So I did a couple of classes at Ryerson while I was at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. So we have a connection there as well. Yeah, crossovers for sure. And it, that just kind of goes to show like how it is a small profession. And it really is. Once you know one person, I feel like you're connected with everyone in the web. Yeah. So what... Um, 
So you did your undergrad at Ryerson, and then how did you end up doing your master's at Mount St. Vincent University in Halifax? Yeah, so I applied for a couple of things. I applied to internship. I think I was really wanting to go. At the same time, I really did want to stay in Toronto, so I wanted to get into the master's at Ryerson. Mm-hmm. And that's in communication. So yes. I feel like a little bit you introduced me saying you do all this social media stuff. I think that comes from maybe not being in that program or knowing maybe I'm not going to get these skills in other places. So I need to work on that personally. Right. Yeah, I, I really want it to be like, I'm a city girl. I'm going to stay here, that type of thing. But at the same yeah. time, I think in my last year, it kind of hit me that there is that group thing that really develops. And I think, I, I don't know, like now I look back, there were some things I didn't like, some things that didn't settle well with me. I wanted to yeah. do, I would, my, so my minor's in sociology and I was kind of actually, nudge not to do that nudge do people do psychology people do marketing people do other things and I'm like I'm gonna do sociology makes sense sociology of food Mm. although we could not do that course because it's a we're in nutrition but I think that's my interest in looking beyond nutrition really kind of made me want to explore other things so I got into this internship program up in northern Ontario and that's what I really wanted to get into and I had interest and I still have an interest in indigenous yeah, health and food sovereignty. And then when I was thinking about masters, I also wrote in my book pursue PhD. So I'm like, if you want to get into PhD, do thesis. So mm-hmm. not a lot of masters in nutrition kind of have thesis. And then I found yeah, that. right. And I didn't. We don't learn a lot about programs that are not in Ontario. Being in Ontario, so I kind of had to ask around. There was like a professor who recently came from the Mount, so I talked to him. I talked to a lot of other people. I searched online. And actually, a lot of articles that I would always really enjoy reading, like professional socialization or other articles, a lot of the professors were on the East Coast. Oh, nice. So, so it was always like, that's those are my people. I need to go out. And also, I've always had a fascination of the East Coast. I don't think we <laughs> learn about it properly in Ontario. It's just like, <laughs> it's all the way out there. The winters <laughs> are hard. It's all the way out there. <laughs> yeah, I think we learn about, we don't, yeah, there's a fascination and curiosity and like, I've always loved Anna Green Gable. So that's just like, oh, yeah, I'm getting I always, old. I am so curious, like how there's so many students from Ontario at Dalhousie because, and at the other universities in Nova Scotia, because I get curious, like, how did you even hear about us? Yeah, I think it's through those, maybe it's through TV, maybe like Dalhousie, I've always heard about. Going yeah, up. I feel like the Mount is one where so Mount St. Vincent is like the one that people don't really know what it is. Like when I went to Toronto to do my internship, and people would ask where I did my undergrad, I was like, "Oh, Mount St. Vincent out in Halifax," and people would be like, "Oh, just like, 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 like stairs." Yeah, they're like, like oh, "Okay, never heard of that." Yeah, so <laughs> that one stuff. I feel like Dalhousie is pretty well known, um, and then some other like I don't know Saint of X would probably be more well known but definitely some of the smaller schools in Halifax are out east aren't as well known and I agree that people I feel like I also experienced that when when I was in Ontario um that a lot of people just weren't really familiar with Atlantic Canada and like what was out there and every time I'd mention I, I was from out east they'd be like oh yeah I'd love to go there someday but like no one had ever actually experienced it so it's interesting yeah, and then you quickly find out when you are out east, when you're from Ontario, and then I've heard, like, I'm not going to say people don't like people from Ontario, but then I've always heard the nickname <laughs> Unterrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I get it. I really I really felt it the first year because I would do things which are just like, I had to, I think I quickly learned your Toronto attitude needs to be packed up in the suitcase and you can bring it back home. Right. I think it's like, just doing I'm like why don't we have this here why don't we have this there and like oh she's from I think it kind of came apparent in my friend group oh she's from Toronto but no it was um I enjoyed it I think you don't really know what people think about you or what people think about the profession if you're just always in groups and places that are just like you're awesome you're awesome this is what like we are the center of the universe type of thing so when you really leave those places of comfort you really learn more about yourself and yeah like you kind of have to put yourself out of the bubble that you're in 
Mm-hmm. And it seems yeah. in learning about yourself, Granit, you, you've always kind of had this knowledge deep down that you wanted to pursue uh, higher education, kind of manifesting, writing down in your notebook, like pursue a PhD or get a master's. Um, you know, if you've always had that, I wonder when did the knowledge of wanting to pursue research in diversity, specifically in nutrition and dietetics, come to you? Was there a specific moment? Do you remember that? Yeah, first, like, even wanting to pursue education, I think that's kind of instilled maybe in a lot of people that are child of immigrants. Like, you know, education is the one thing that can get you going in other places. Mm -hmm. And when it came to research and nutrition, I didn't, I always knew people did, like, you know, vitamins, vitamin D, that type of stuff, eating behaviors. Yeah. So I think I, that's what I knew in the beginning. So when I first talked to my thesis supervisor, I was like, so there's like eating behavior. Then I, I did bring up culture. I'm like, you know, there's cultural competence and uh, we learned that. I'm thinking about like working with diverse groups and like, I think through our conversation, it kind of got dissected. She's like, well, what do you really want to do? And I'm sure I have I, that's in another notebook. I know it's in my other notebook. But I have like <laughs> my other notebook. <laughs> yeah, there's so I have literally I have um, a nightstand and the first two drawers. So the bottom drawer is just full of notebooks. And my mom's like, those will be helpful when you go to write your memoir years from now. Oh god, yeah. Back. And that's going to be dictated because we all know I'm the world's slowest typer. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it was really in my final year, like one of my friends, we were just talking about like, you know, she's like, oh, you're going to go to your master's, it's going to be cool. And then I'm like, where are you going? She's like, I got this stuff figured out. And then she kind of brought up what a classmate brought. She's like, well, I heard something. I don't know if I was telling you. I'm like, just tell me. It's okay. Like, come on. It can't be that bad. And she's just like, well, so-and-so said, um, they were talking about a lot of people getting into master's or internship and just saying like, whether they're going to sink or swim. And they're just like, so they said that, it doesn't matter where Gurney goes, she's not going to fit in. And her initial response was, Gurney's not that dark. Um, and then when she told me, I think I kind of laughed and I was just like, does, I know my social location in life. I know my race, my gender and all these other type of things. And at that moment, it didn't really hit me. But when I was talking to my advisors and advisor and I kind of said, well, there is something, I don't know about diversity and dietetics. And I brought up that personal story and she's like, yeah. And after I'm like, I can't find data. I'm like, do we have data of like how diverse we are? numbers?" Because I couldn't find it even just at that point. I also didn't know a lot of terminology. So I didn't know what BIPOC meant. I didn't know. Right. Like white supremacy. Like, you know, these things are out there. White privilege. Like I know these words now more so, but at that point I didn't know. And she's like, you can look at the profession. Then I kind of referred back to those previous articles about professional socialization. I'm like, yeah, maybe professional socialization of like racialized, I think at that point it was racialized students. And then um, I kind of switched it more so recently to dietitians. And I think the switch kind of came because individuals are already going to be in practice. So they've experienced it and they can talk more about looking back at internship, looking back at how the profession has changed, what the association is doing, what they're, yeah. how the workplace changed. So I think I switched over to that, but also I kind of started a thesis last year and now I'm just paying continuation fees because at that point I did, I chose to travel and like being a student, if you get those opportunities to like apply for grants and things like that, like definitely go do it. I didn't regret it, but I think in within my friend, not my friend group, friend group, professional group and stuff, I would hear things like, what is she up to this time or things like that. And it's not like I never invited people to do things with me. I always did. But I also am not like the academic that just sits in the office and does things. So I really needed to explore these things and go out mm. into different things. And I don't want to look back. I'm like, I can't travel now because of COVID. So I'm like, I'm glad I did it then. Although not everyone was always supportive of it. And, but at the same time, I know I, I'm glad to be at the Mount because I think if I was at any other university, that would be a huge question from the right. chair of the department. When is this person going to finish their thesis? <laughs> so I appreciate just- that. Uh, Granita, I um, I have to say, I'm really, really, um, I find it very powerful that you took, you know, a personal experience where you were racialized as someone in the nutrition space and the academic nutrition space, and you turned that into a goal to pursue knowledge around that incident. And you're kind of manifesting it as this 
uh, academic work. I, I think that's very powerful, and I really commend you for that. I think it it would be very easy to take a um, you know a situation like that and turn it into something negative, where yeah. you know someone racialized might feel down on themselves. I know I know I felt that in the past, so I, I, that's really. Uh, I think that's really fantastic. You're doing amazing work. And obviously, it's very important because as you bring up um, this data on diversity and nutrition and dietetics does not exist at this point at the professional level. Um, and you were talking about kind of traveling. Can you, um, can you talk to us a little bit more about that? So were you traveling specifically in order to kind of have conversations with other racialized persons in nutrition and dietetic spaces? So at the same time, it was, yeah, it was a mix of spaces. So I'm thinking back. I also enjoy being in non-dietetic spaces because then I can just get real insight from like what people are doing in other professions. And mm-hmm. that's, we need to have a collaboration is a huge thing and we really need to focus on that. So I remember if I think back, I went to a social justice conference in Thunder Bay. I was probably like the only nutrition person talking about this stuff, but it was nice. a good conversation to be with people like, you know, people from Vancouver, from like Alberta, all over. And we had like a really nice dinner together and we just talked about things. And I remember going to PEI as well for like an interdisciplinary graduate conference. And actually, it's funny because I went there and I went to most of my conferences I went to were more social justice and I would end up seeing similar people I met at other events. Oh, yeah. So that's always nice. And there's like, oh, yeah, you could talk about nutrition and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, there's nothing new. I'm still asking for data. So that was kind of the, a bit of a joke. We um, People be like, so how's that going since last five, six months? I'm like, yeah, I'm still same place. But, you know, we're, we're here, we're learning. And most of the events were, yeah, non-nutrition related. I did go to the Dietitian of Canada conference last year. I wasn't pre- presenting or anything like that. Um, that was interesting because I kind of, yeah, they had like an open forum. I'm also the type of person when I think back to undergrad, thinking back to even high school, I would not raise my hand. I would not really, you know, I wouldn't go up to a podium and talk. I, yeah. feel like I'm also very insecure about my voice because I'm, I always joke with my friends, even now when we talk and think, record our voices for the other little friend podcast that we do. Like, um, I'm like, I need to cuff cuff. I need to put on my CBC voice. And it's like, <laughs> Sephora is always like, you're not Peter Mansbridge. Just, just let it go. Let it go. CBC voice. I yeah. love that. Honestly, Tara and I do that too. We kind of yeah. like prepare ourselves and get our podcast oh, absolutely. voices on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm naturally, I would say I'm very, you know, quiet spoken usually, but I, I really, I try my heart. It's been a journey trying to learn how to turn it on for recordings. Yeah. Garnet, uh, I think that's amazing. You were going to these, especially like maybe non-dietetic spaces and having these conversations. And, and I mean, just from my experience, no, not all graduate programs have the same timeline, you know, whatever people say about timelines is none of our business. You know, everything happens in its own time and it's difficult to be patient about that sometimes, but it's just a fact of life, really. I I think you're doing, I think you're doing an interesting thing trying to, you're bringing more intersectionality into a thesis that's about intersectionality. So it's, you're making it more intersectional than anyone would have ever thought before. And I think that's only going to make it stronger. Uh, I'm kind of curious through all these interactions in dietetics and outside of dietetic spaces, have you met any heroes doing this kind of diversity work? They, they don't necessarily have to be in the nutrition space, mm-hmm. but I'm curious who's kind of helped uh, inspire you along the way. Yeah, for sure. I'm just, I was thinking back to even like when I was in like school and who I used to like look up to. And I think it tended to be in the beginning, just a lot of like um, former graduates of the program. So one person I always think about is like, Michelle Jalen, who's a dietitian, she's called nutrition artist. And oh, yeah. that's someone I've always looked up to. Then there's Nazima, who's also doing, she also graduated from Ryerson. I think I just more so gravitated towards people that were racialized. And I'm like, okay, if they're doing it. But I think at the same time, I didn't name it that until maybe later. I'm like, oh, I'm always interested in like how diverse people get into places. And I guess like, yeah, when I think about going through school and I guess when I get really acquainted, when I got really, maybe more so in my master's, I learned about critical dietetics and that's a group that my supervisor is a part of. And I became like a part of them in the beginning half 
Um, I just had to take a backseat now just because of thesis and other things. But I think that was like the first dietetics type of group where people would talk about things that are challenging the status quo, looking at intersectionality. And I felt like I had a voice at the table. And, and I really, that's where I made most of my connections and people that are in Canada and the state. So, and also I really enjoyed that their journal is open access and that's, there's a lot of pay, like I can access like, you know, journals and like all this other research stuff because I paid my tuition or I'm a DC Mm -hmm. student member, but there's very few places that are open access. And I learned to appreciate that more just thinking about like how can the average student or average like dietitian when you're not, you don't have access to all these things, where do you get information from? And maybe that's more so a question. I even think about post COVID, like who has access to information and always comes back to privilege and power. Yes. There's a, there's a lot of gatekeeping of, uh, of academic knowledge and we've talked about that a lot and we struggle sometimes or at least I struggle sometimes thinking about you know I want to share this publication with the listeners this is something I found interesting and you know this seems like good evidence but yeah unfortunately a lot of it is behind paywalls so I struggle to find things that are open access to share those but sometimes it's just you know not available for a certain topic and you bring up this good point of how you know there's all these paywalls but then it's it creates an opportunity i think for people like you who are trying to communicate this information uh to bridge that gap so you're kind of acting as this messenger of uh this gate kept space which i think is really important yeah and even kind of like um thinking about others i think that really comes from like the community i'm with and others that are doing the work like now more so thinking about racial diversity i just became a part of like diversified dietetics and that's a group in the states yeah and that's started by Tamara and Deanna so Tamara is actually on my thesis committee Deanna always have conversations with and really helped us start the online forum that we have going here and I think yeah it's great to have those people that are already doing things and supporting you and I've always been told by actually this this came up in my first internship so my preceptor was Mohammed Rezik and he has his private practice in Toronto and yeah I think I'd always tell him like, and then he went to Mount as well. I would tell them like, so like, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to convince this group. And he's like, why, why don't you just go with the people that already get you? Why are you trying so hard to convince other people and stuff like that? And I'm like, well, they have power and stuff like that. And he's like, you don't, I'm, he's like, they'll come eventually type of thing. Well, think about the people that are on your side. Those are the people you need to invest in and work with. And yeah, he brought up a really great point. And then I just kind of like, if I think day to day of like, even if I'm thinking about dietetics or non-dietetics, I really applaud my like really two close friends, my housemates even back in Halifax and we're also in Ontario now virtually like Sephora who's in dietetics with myself and then Maysoon who's at Dow for medicine. Like they would always hear all my stories. They would always hear my struggles. They're the ones that would see me in the morning when I wake up and I'm like, I feel like this. And then before we go to sleep, we have a good talk and we eat and enjoy things. And, like it's really important how that social support and those are the people that you really need by your side and they've helped me get through a lot of situations and had a lot of loss of friendships because of the work I'm doing, mm. bringing up things and or yeah, challenging you in friendships and readdressing things and you know what like though that all comes with life, it comes up with growing yeah. up and I think that's been really important in shaping who I am and keeping those near and dear to me that really understand and get me. I think that's really wow. important. Yeah, that's really powerful. I, yeah, it seems like that kind of um, that advice about staying connected to the networks that support us and give us back the respect that we give them is really important. Kind totally. of pursuing the path of least resistance can be a really important thing, can be just as important as maybe um, banging down the walls of powerful establishments that mm-hmm. aren't necessarily letting us in. It, you seem to have the, a really diverse uh, set of experiences, even at the beginning of your thesis work now. I, I'm wondering, have there been any moments that you've enjoyed the most? You know, you've been to a lot of conferences. I wonder if there are any standout moments. from. Um, <laughs> one thing, like, I'm not going to say I enjoy discomfort, but at the same time, you have to enjoy the discomfort maybe you create. Sure. <laughs> or um, what Sephora always brings up to me is she's like, if something happens, she's like, are you mad at me or the situation? And she's like, a good friend would say, I'm mad at the situation. 
And I'm just like, okay. Um, so I guess that's not that I'm mad at situation or things like that. I think it's the situations maybe that I create that are discomfortable. And I think I did that last year at a conference and it was just a bit, you know, when you keep on bringing up things and like, can you do this data? Can you do the survey? Can you do like, please do the survey? You have access to do it. I'm just right. in my master's and like, again, I guess I have to go through ethics and I'm still, I've done that for other things. So I just wanted the organization to really understand what I'm saying. And I rem- this, how I did this, like, I don't know in the moment how I remember this, but it brought me back to like maybe my fourth year undergrad class in community nutrition where our lecturer brought up this um, video of Gandhi and the movie and Gandhi's yeah he opens another can of worms for other things too but when you think about people in the past and like what they've done he kind of wanted I don't know what the movie is but he wanted to get the white British officers to kind of agree with his vote or something so the um, I guess laborers were getting up and they were like upset. And the only way to make them, the white officers to get up was to play God Save the Queen. So he kind of proved a point there. And I kind of thought, I don't know how I remember that in the moment, but I'm like, you know what? Like I can't get the data. So let's do something super voluntary. And maybe this could happen here too. So I didn't want to get like the racialized people to stand up. But instead, I did the opposite way, and I couldn't just say, okay, if you're white, stand up. So I'm like, okay, this is a voluntary survey. If you want to participate, great. Um, if, you ident- if you don't identify as being black, indigenous, or person of color, and then I also added in the intersection of, like, being LGBTQ+, and could you please stand up? And then most of the room stood up. And then I'm like, well, this is the data I've been looking for, and I hope, I don't think they took a photo, but if they took a photo, I'm sure... It would really prove my point, and I got applause, and I just kind of sat down. I kind of was like a little bit in disbelief, and I'm just like, okay, like now what's going to happen? This seems big, and I don't want to say I was. I don't want to say I was disappointed afterwards because when you say those things, you do that stuff. It's not their first time having this type of comp. Not it wasn't a confrontation. Having this critique brought up to them last year, this was brought up, and someone asked me, they're like. Were you at the conference last year asking these questions? I'm like, no, that was actually my friend or my other colleague. Actually, who brought it up last year was someone who wrote the letter for me to get into my master's this year. So it's funny how things are full circle on its end. But yeah, people would ask me, they're like, so are you indigenous? Are you this? And I'm like, I'm not indigenous. I'm not going to take that. It's not, I don't know why you're thinking I am just because I know these things. I think we should all right. know about indigenous yeah. nutrition and stuff like that. So I had to clarify that. I'm just like, I'm a racialized person I'm a student and I'm caring about this and mm. I was also warned this comes up a lot that you know you're stirring the pot you know be careful you're still vulnerable you're still a student and my mentors are bringing that up and that's something to consider and also I know that I'm gonna face repercussions but at the same time I always think I'm like do I want to work in an organization that's racist no no so I feel like it filters out a lot of things for me and I, I bring up discomfort, but at the same time I sit in it too. And I have sat in it and a lot of times and I continue to. And I think that's really important to understand that just because I'm doing this stuff, I'm questioning people doesn't mean people question me and they do and they have the right to. And you really need to understand that these conversations need to be had. And if just because sometimes I laugh and I'm like, I'm just a student. I'm not even a dietitian yet. I live at home with my parents. Like, I don't know why they're afraid of me. And I'm just like, I don't know why people are intimidated. Like it's, I don't, I don't have anything else. Like, but I guess it's, I'm like, it's just my words. I guess it's just me pointing out something that the profession has always tried to ignore. Yeah, I think so. And that probably makes people uncomfortable. And you bring up an important point, Granit, which is that it doesn't matter who you are. You should care about diversification and you should care about expanding the intersectionalities in your profession. And it it seems like um, dietetics and nutrition spaces could really benefit from that, especially from hearing that story where you're trying to kind of bring to light this idea that nutrition and dietetic spaces are very homogeneous. Uh, You know, we're we're kind of at the, we have 10 minutes left here. I'm just kind of curious, you know, as you, go into your thesis and, you know, you might be having you know, a couple hypotheses about the surveys that you're going to be asking racialized uh, um, new 
people in the nutrition space and dietetic space, do you have any, you know, early calls to action about, um, for, about diversity for people in nutrition and dietetics yeah. professional spaces? What can, you know, uh, future RDs or current RDs or people in, you know, healthcare spaces that work in the nutrition space what can they do to promote diversity? Yeah, for sure. And even like I am in the process of interviewing and I can tell you like firsthand, I used to not, I'm like, I, I used to even question why hasn't this work been done? It's not until maybe last year started talking about it more and being like, oh, racism, it really hit me. And now doing the interviews, hearing all these stories, it hits me. It's like, these are testimonials you don't see on websites. And that's kind of there lies a problem we have these websites we have these associations we have like all these prints and resources out there that we have to really like you know peel back the layers think about um yeah think about like why hasn't this been brought up and understand the discomfort and i feel like a lot of and trying to understand not to be in denial like there's that white fragility that comes up that kind of like, a, oh, okay, we're doing something about it. It's like you really need to understand when you're talking to groups that are um, racialized groups and trying to bring them in, I really see the need, and a lot of people have been bringing up the need to pay people. Um, yeah, have the equity, not just like, again, exploiting free labor and things like that, and that's something that I always advocate for and that's needed. And like it takes a lot, like it's dif- difficult on its own, like trying to like, you know, try to get into dietetics, all this other stuff. And you're also dealing with racism on the side. So it's trying to really allow people to be in, create those spaces that people, racialized people can come and talk and that security and that safety kind of needs to be created. And again, not all spaces are safe anyways, but like there's things that we can do to build trust. So what I'm hearing is basically that, first of all, we want people to acknowledge that there is a problem with lack of diversity in this dietetic space and not only to hear the words of, you know, racialized professionals, bring them into the conversation, but also most importantly, value that those conversations compensate people fairly. You yeah. know, if organizations are bringing in consultants, for example, I'm sure lots of organizations, you know, up, around the world, especially North America right now, are bringing in consultants uh, to ask about how they can make their profession more diverse. Hopefully that's what they're doing. So that fair compensation is, of course, as you're saying, going to be really important there. For sure. And it's just honestly, yeah, the need to really work on yourself and show up. And I just see a lot of performative allyship happening. And it's like, and then people are always like, well, you know, this can't happen overnight. And then I think back to colonization, I'm like, that happened overnight. But the same time I was Mm-hmm. colonization happened slavery happened and when i think back to that um it continued on for many years so when i think of dismantling whiteness and dismantling white supremacy it's gonna take many years to even do that but it really goes to like start with the individual level and really try to just people are listening great there's things that can happen tomorrow for sure and it's just taking that risk and mm-hmm. i always work in rough draft mode anyone that knows me everything is in rough draft mode and it's just a matter of just being okay with not being perfect and knowing right. that mistakes and stumbles happen and we really need to work through it together and yeah. Yeah. And I think like not letting the mistakes or the stumbles keep you from doing further work, like recognizing that it's going to happen and then um, being able to acknowledge a mistake or a stumble and then continuing forward is really important as well. I think that's something that a lot of people are fearful of um, making mistakes, but you know, we can't be afraid of that if we're going to actually make change. Mm-hmm. For sure. So in, in our last couple of minutes now, I, I'm just curious uh, if you want to shout out to people, uh, you know, the work that's coming up for you, maybe with your thesis and your interviews, or maybe drop some, you know, information about links that people can find you at or find your work yeah, at. Yeah, social media. Absolutely. And of course, we'll include all this in the show notes for easy clicking too. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm just, um, right now, just kind of a bit busy with a summer job doing food security work and then at the same time research and transcribing. So at the peak of the research 
for sure. And I'm sure things will come up. I always try to show like thesis updates along the way. And that's usually on my Instagram and my Twitter. So that's at Gurney K. Dami. And also you can find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is always a cool place. I think sometimes people, we, we don't know how to use LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> over between a lot of things. Absolutely. It's kind of like Facebook, but I feel like I have to put a suit on in order to sit down. And <laughs> so <it>. true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I love that. Maybe just before we go to, we can ask you, you know, we always do this segment at the end of our podcast. We can ask you, do you have a tasty of the week, Gurney? Yeah. What's been tasty for you this week, Gurney? Yeah, I feel like I'm someone that takes things literally and figuratively. So this has been coming up a lot. And I think it's something my brother and I joke about is like, um, so we make quarantine burgers every week. Okay. We, we, we dub them quarantine burgers. Oh my gosh. So yeah, so just like, I usually go to a grocery store and I love to price match. That's what I used to do back in Halifax. I've always loved to do that. And I think that's really, maybe that goes back to like my food security stuff. But yeah, I just, you know, get different ingredients and... Um, I always joke to my brother on Friday, I'm like, so we're going to have a quarantine burger today. And he's like, yeah. And then we like, you know, make them, sometimes he makes his own or sometimes I just try to do it together in a way. And then we just catch up on things and share stuff. So sometimes we joke and then we usually go for a walk. So it's like a brother sister thing. I love that. Yeah. It's nice to do that being back home too. Yeah. That's super special. Yeah. Quarantine burgers. Absolutely. I love that. It sounds like. You know, you're bringing up the important point of how nutrition is not just uh, for the body, but it's for the soul too. You know, it's a a time where you can share love with other people. For sure. And kind of making the best out of a hard situation or sometimes the best of what you have at the table as well. Totally. Thank you so much, Granit, for joining us. I'm so excited to share this episode with everybody who's listening and to share all the links where they can find you. Please go follow Granit. We'll have the links to her social media in the show notes. Um, Yeah, and we're looking forward to seeing where your thesis work goes. I'm I'm sure it's going to be very, very impactful. Yeah, best of luck to you with your thesis, Granit. Yeah, thank you so much, Tariq and Hannah, and definitely be in touch as we do online. For Perfect. sure. <laughs> Bye, Granite. Bye. Bye. Hannah, 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 my love. What an, what an amazing interview. What a great interview. I love chatting with Granite. She had some really powerful things to say um, that, I don't know, I'm definitely going to take with me after the, we stop recording. Absolutely. I absolutely love what she had to share. She's clearly, um, she made it very clear that not only is this work important because it's important for the sake of equity, but it's clearly important because no one knows anything about diversity in the dietetic space in Canada. It's true. It's um, clearly, you know, yeah. We've avoided the conversation for so long. And yeah. especially where Canada has this like really atrocious history with respect to the residential school experiments where yeah. like nutrition information has been you know, kind of developed on the backs of racialized individuals, specifically indigenous people in that case, you know, I think it's kind of an important thing to discuss, you know, diversity and dietetics. Uh, Kind of, just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, just a tiny little bit. Um, Yeah. So I'm happy we had that conversation. I I feel very lucky that we, uh, we chatted with Gurneet and we learned about, um, you know, the work that she's doing. And uh, and I, I'm, I was really fascinated by that story she told us about, getting people to stand up if they weren't oh of gosh. certain intersectionalism. Yeah. You know, a lot of the rooms that I, I think that's very powerful. And she was like, that's the data that I need. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like write that in a thesis. <laughs> that, Seriously. That would, that would be an <laughs> interesting thing. So yeah. um, we were lucky enough to ask her need about her tasting. And she mentioned, um, you know, the burgers that she makes. Quarantine burgers. Quarantine yeah. Burgers. I think that's lovely. Um, Hannah, I wonder if you would do me the honor of telling me, what your tasty is. Oh, Tarek, it's my honor. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was trying to think about what's been tasty for, this, for me this weekend. Honestly, food-wise, things haven't been too exciting. But I have I been um, able to, in the last, or the last couple of weekends, get together with friends and enjoy. Are some- you talking about me? Yes, you, of course, (laughs) you and um, family and other friends and... Sorry, uh, other friends? I just... Okay, (laughs) no, no, sorry, keep keep going, keep going. (laughs) You you have other friends? Um, No, I... Last night I got together with a couple girlfriends and one of my girlfriends made the most delicious red 
sangria. Okay. And I have to say, I'm really just like clearly loving like the Spanish and Portuguese recipes lately because that's true that was your tasty last time last week it was a portuguese recipe and sangria is traditionally like a spanish or portuguese recipe as well so she made a lovely sangria with red wine and fruit i think there were some berries and some i don't know if she had oranges in there maybe it was just berries and i think traditionally you put um like some sort of sweetener or some sugar in there and then like brandy I think is traditionally what you use in sangria but she added I think she just had triple sex so she added that to the sangria okay um, I know there's Not so many problem different there. variations. no problem there <laughs> yeah no problem it was no problem um so yeah it was really delicious and I mean kind of like Granit said not only is like the food aspect of it delicious but sharing it with totally. like people who you know whose company you're really enjoying it makes totally. it almost even more delicious so that's my tasty this week having some sangria with some girlfriends i love your tasty what a beautiful beautiful tasty thank you so much sangria now, with please, girlfriends sangria with girlfriends can i tell you a, a sangria <laughs> moment that i've experienced uh go ahead you know where some of the best sangria and a, a lot of people who listen to our podcast are you know other than our incredible listeners and Places like Munich, uh, I'll say, who else should we shout out? Places in Ireland, we've got listeners in Japan. We do have a lot of listeners from our hometown, your old, totally. your previous hometown from Halifax. Yes. There's, for people listening, there's great sangria at the bowling alley, <laughs> at the bowling alley, uh, Bolorama in the Fairview community. So go, go check them out, not sponsored. What Bolorama is that? That's not the uh, one on Joseph Howe, is it? The one where we went. Oh, you know what? I'm shutting oh, up the wrong bowl. That is on Joseph Howe. I'm shutting up the wrong bowlorama or bowlorama. Get your bowlorama's right. It's like pasta or pasta. Um, I'm shutting up the wrong bowlorama. I actually mean the bowlorama on the the Dartmouth side. Oh. They have sangria, which is who knew. Who knew? I knew. So <laughs> I will. So um, I'm going to shout out. Uh, a tasty, you know, on that same beat, also in Halifax, for people listening, we'll put this in the description. This is this is something that anybody can enjoy, even outside of Halifax, that, you know, this knowledge of this tasty treat. It's a food. But I thought I'd give it a shout out because it's something that people can access um, by by pickup in Halifax, if they're listening. Okay. Uh, Hannah and I recently enjoyed one of Fifi's Alfie's. Oh my God, yes! Which are, um, so Fifi's Alfie's is a new um, little startup uh, baking entrepreneurship uh, situation. <laughs> and, okay, I am an absolute wordsmith. Everything I say is poetry. It's like lyrics. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a rapper. I'm, a, I'm an artist. I'm a, I'm a lyricist. Every, I am dying. Everybody can't handle situation. Everybody can't handle how incredibly I can string words. Together. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. So Fifi's Alfie's is an entrepreneurship situation. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, there's oh this, gosh. there's this young woman, Fiorella in Halifax. And um, she makes these, authentic Peruvian cookies. They're called alfajores. Um, they're, from what I can tell, little shortbread cookies that are, they're little shortbread sandwiches, actually, that yeah. have a milk caramel in them, kind of like oh, dulce so de good. leche. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's actually called manjar. I guess it's a Peruvian version of that. Um, so if you can imagine the look of a macaron, it's like, it looks like a macaron, but it's two shortbread cookies with kind of like a milk caramel in the middle. So delicious. It looks like it would be saccharin, but it's actually not too sweet. It, it seems to be perfectly balanced. I'm sure there's it's a little so bit of salt balanced. in there. So perfectly balanced. Great in the mouth. It just like the cookie crumbles, but the milk caramel is kind of like gooey, but not chewy. Really, really perfect. We'll put the description below. It's an incredible well, deal. I maybe I won't say the price because... I think she should charge more, to be honest. Yeah, um, I agree. But you can they order them so through good. DM. And if you're not in the local area, look up the look up the recipe. Try to make it on your own. Shortbread cookies, some milk caramel. I'm sure it would take some you know practice to become proficient at it. But yeah. I, I think it's a recipe that's probably pretty accessible, even for a first try. Totally. Um, yeah, so that's my tasty. And uh, as you say, community is such an important part of nutrition. Um, I was happy to share those with you. Yeah. This and family yesterday. And family yeah. yesterday. It was really um, nice. Yeah, so that's my tasty. 
Yeah, so we will, um, I think you mentioned it, but yeah, we'll, she has an Instagram page. So we'll add the link to the Instagram page in our description if you guys want to check out Fifi's Alfie's. Yeah, absolutely. And learn a little bit about, you know, I know we've had, we've featured Portuguese food and now Hannah then featured Spanish uh, beverages and now we're featuring Peruvian food. Totally. Yes, we're traveling the world through our tasties. Virtually traveling the world. We're virtually traveling the world through our tasties. So thank you very much for listening, everybody. Thank you, Gurneet, for coming on the podcast. So yeah. such an interesting conversation. Um, really, really, I'm really, really curious. I, I'm going to read her thesis when it comes out. I, I think it's going to be a very important piece of work. Oh, I'm sure absolutely. she'll get it published as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you for listening, everybody. Um, Thank you for joining us. Follow us on social media. Check out the links in the description. Give our give our little podcast a little a little five star, a little rate, a little rating and review, a little rating and review. We would absolutely love it. Um, if you've entered the draw for the five hundred dollar gift card, um, that information will be coming next episode. Just kidding, but maybe one day in the future. Who knows where this? No, is we going. should do a giveaway. Well, yeah, we'll, okay, we'll do a maybe giveaway. when we come out with our merch or something like that. Oh yeah, we've got amazing merch. Uh, please look out for our. our um, our sailboats with $5,500. Okay. I probably need to stop. My caffeine is kicking in. Thank you so much. Why does your caffeine always kick in at the end? Anyways. Anyways. (laughs) We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. (laughs)